welcomed when that happens. And uh, it's always good for us to be able to get into the Word as well. Take your Bibles and we'll be at uh, Psalm 36 this morning. As we continue in our summer in the Psalms, and this has been a uh, tremendous blessing for me. And this morning we're going to be looking at uh, how we can break the cycle of sin. And some of you may think, well, I don't, I don't struggle with sin. Well, if you read John, 1 John 1, it talks about if you say you haven't sinned, you are a liar. And so that right there is an issue of sin as well. All of us are struggling with things. We have a hard time even meeting our own expectations. But then when we open up his word and we see this is what God has called us to do and God has called us to be, then we recognize truly our need, well, the situation of the cycle of sin that can happen in our lives, but that there's only one way that that cycle can be broken. Will you join me as we stand together? Psalm 36, verses 1 to 12. This is how we honor his word before the word is preached. Psalm 36, to the choir master of David, the servant of the Lord. Verse 1. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. That his, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mountains of God. Your judgments are like the great deep. Man and beast you save, O Lord. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. O continue your steadfast love to those who know you, and your righteousness to the upright of heart. Let not the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the evildoers lie fallen. They thrust down, unable to rise. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You may be seated. So I was listening to a sermon recently, um, and the gentleman that was preaching, he came off and he was talking about how both actors and wrestlers, that when they receive their script, they love being the bad guy or the heel or the villain. They love that. And when asked why, they said, well, the good guys are boring. They're predictable. You know, they don't have any texture to them. But a baddie, a bad guy, they have all sorts of unpredictability, all sorts of texture that's going on to them. And, and if you've watched act, you know, if you've watched movies and you've watched, you know, wrestling, if you want to admit to that, you watch wrestling, um, some of you do. And, and you see that there's some, there's something about someone that is the villain who is the heel, that there is a lot more texture to what he's all about. And I think what happens is we watch those things on the movies and we translate it to life and we think, well, it's more interesting to be a bad guy. It's more interesting to be evil. When in reality, a Christian psychologist comes along and she's like, you know, when I talk to people and they are dealing and struggling with sin and are intent on evil and doing things along that line, their life gets very boring. It's actually the opposite because they're never satisfied. 
If you, like for those who struggle with pornography, after a while, you reach a limit to where you need something more. When it comes to any, any addiction, you know, after a while, your body just gets used to it. And you want something more, something more, something more. Whereas those who live a life of goodness and live a life of godliness, there's all sorts of unpredictability. And all you have to do is just look to the person of Jesus. Jesus is the most interesting man, not that guy in that commercial, that beer commercial, the most interesting man. On, no, no, no. Jesus is the most interesting one on, the, on, on earth, but he's also the one that's the most unpredictable. He gives the religious leaders the business, and he gives those who are outside of the religious groups grace and mercy. He is very, very unpredictable. So when you look at this passage of Scripture, we're talking about breaking the cycle of sin. Uh, this is what I want you to avoid. I want you to avoid the, the, like what happened with the tax collector and the Pharisee. You know, the Pharisee comes in, I'm so glad, I'm, I'm so good, God, look at all I'm doing, look at all I'm doing, look at all I'm doing, and I'm not like that guy. And where the tax collector, or the, the, the sinner comes up, tax collector, he comes up and he's like, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. So one person put it as that person went home justified, whereas the other person just went home. I don't want you just to go home. I want you to go home, and I want you to know that there is a way for you to break that cycle of sin. No, you, you may not be going on a rampage like, like Hitler or other, other people like that, but you may have some internal issues, private issues that are going on right now that you're struggling with, and you'd love to be able to break out of that, but you don't feel like you have the strength to do it. I want to tell you something. You are exactly right. You do not have the strength to do anything as a natural person on a spiritual level. But I also want to let you know that there is one who can rescue you, who can release you. And his name is Jesus Christ. And when he died upon that cross for you, he broke the bonds of that sin. He broke the bonds of your brokenness. And I want you, even in Psalm 36, you're like, this sounds very New Testament. It's all a Christian book. The Bible is a Christian book. And as you look at this, I want you to see, let's first of all, how we can diagnose the presence of the internal cycle of sin. Let's diagnose it. In verse 1, it says, transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. I must say, if you're reading out of the NIV, what I just read is not what you have. What, what the NIV and maybe other versions may say as well um, is that an oracle speaks. Um, you need to pray for the translators of those who are translating our scriptures, because all English translations, even the King James, all English translations are just that. They're translations. And I know they're working hard to make sure they get it right, but sometimes there's those words that are really difficult to translate. So what we have here, though, is something being spoken to us. It's something that is being spoken to the wicked. Now, what does it mean to be wicked? Is this people that do really bad stuff? No, these are people that are outside of Christ. How dare you? I'm just delivering the mail. These are people that are outside of Christ who believe that they can be self-sufficient on their own and live a life outside of Christ and they're fine. Well, what you're doing is you're shaking your fist to God because God has revealed something very different to what you're saying. So you have made a choice. I, have, I am going to listen to what the word, the transgression that is speaking deep in my heart, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to that. 
I want to tell you, sin plays for keeps. Satan plays for keeps. They don't play around with it. And they're not trying to go at it from the surface. No, they're going at it, and they want to get right down to the root of the matter. Because if they can get to the root of your heart, then they can get to everything else. Because out of the overflow of the heart, not only does the mouth speak, but actions spring forth. All of those things that Satan and sin plant as a seed in your heart come to bloom. And we have to be very careful what we let in. Even as followers of Jesus, well, Jesus has taken my sin. Yeah, but you're still in the flesh. You're still going to be tempted. And there's still going to be that cycle of sin that if it's not stopped, then it's going to take you over. No, you'll never be possessed as a Christian, but you will certainly be oppressed as a Christian. You know how it is. And so when it talks about this, it says transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. And what happens when that transgression begins to speak and that word begins to speak deep in your heart? There becomes a lack of fear, worship, and awe of God in their own eyes. There is a, there's a blindness that happens. And that worshiping eye, rather than it going toward God, begins to go elsewhere. Well, notice what it says. There's no fear of God before his eyes. Well, where do those eyes go? For he flatters himself in his own eyes. So his eyes are turning away. That worshipful eye is turning away from the living God to turn to themselves. And you begin to worship you. And we see this happening in our culture right now. My rights, my rights, my rights. Well, we have to be careful as Christians because does not the Bible say that we are to deny ourselves? That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to deny yourself, to take up your cross daily and follow him. We are to die daily to ourselves. And so there's no more flattering in, in, in our own eyes, but for those who, who Christ has not taken over, something else has. It's either going to be the word of Christ or the word of something else, the word of sin, the word of the devil, something else. It happened all the way back in the Garden of Eden, and it still happens even today. And you become so blinded to it, it says that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. In other words, you love you so much. I mean, Terrell, Terrell Owens, when he was playing football, I love me some me. That's what he would say over and over. And he certainly did. But that's what happens is that you can be so love in love with yourself that you can be blinded because you've taken that worshipful eye off of God, put it upon yourself, you can be blinded to your own sin and your own iniquity. You may even be so blinded, you may think that you've got it all together, you don't need any help from anybody. And that is a dangerous thing when we make ourselves really, really big and make God really, really small. Right? Because that's what it means to magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord. Come with me. Come exalt his name together. We come together as a body of believers to make much of Jesus, to magnify him, not to make him little and affirm ourselves. We need to get as far away from that sinful self as we possibly can because it's, it's why Christ died on the cross. We have to be very careful. Well, okay, so that, that's where it gets to the heart. And by the way, I hope you know that when I'm talking about the heart, I'm not talking about the four chambers and the ventricles and the, you know, and the, and the arteries and all of that. The heart is the center of who you are. It's your desire. It's your will. 
That's where everything springs from. So that's why God is not simply talking to you saying, make sure on the outside you've got everything set. Make sure you go to church and get all cleaned up so people think that you're all right. Don't bother with the inside. All that matters is the outside. No, that's what the world says. Christ is saying, look, what comes to you is from the heart. Out of the overflow of the heart are all the issues of life, Proverbs 4 tells us. But look at what else happens. It comes out in your words. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit, not stability and not truth. Trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good because he's only thinking about himself. Well, it's good for me. No, that's bad. That's bad. And then it says here, it's not just an impulsive act, but there's an actual thinking it through. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. How many times have you laid on your bed, you've had a bad day and someone came up to you and gave you the business about something, you're laying on the bed and you're like, man, if that ever happens again, this is how it's going to play out. Oh, just me? None of you? Well, I'm, I'm talking to you. You, you, might, you might not even hear what I'm having to say. You've got the cycle of sin broken. No, I, I bet you. Or if, if this happens again, then I'm going to do this. You know what you're doing? You're plotting. You're, you're putting that scenario in. There's been whole sitcoms that have been built around this plotting. And the fact is, is that when he's saying he's plotting on his bed, there is actually a connection to what Moses was given by God to tell the people of Israel this is how you are to be. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You see the connection? See that connective tissue there? Don't be lying on your bed plotting self and sin. You lie on your bed meditating on the glories of God. That's why it's, I think it's sometimes good, I think it's a lot of times good not to have your phone right by your bed at night or, or when you wake up in the morning. Use it as an alarm clock. I, I've actually started moving it over to a place where I can't reach it right now because, you know, I'm no spiritual. I'm just looking at the weather, looking up the Bible verses and all. Oh, look at this other thing. Oh, look at this other thing. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're at, right in the middle of social media and there's been, there's a little chunk of day that you're never going to get back. But rather, set it somewhere else and just meditate on something. Meditate on something regarding the things of God that will help you get into your day a whole lot better than, than the other. We have to make sure that we're doing this. Um, just to read the rest of Deuteronomy um, 6, 4 to 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your, between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, do you see what's happened? So it started with the, in the root of sin, and then it begins to work its way to words, and then it works its way to actions, and then the actions become not just actions, but plotting out the actions that I'm going to do the next day, and then suddenly you have this cycle that's going on, and rather than the starving the sin and, and masking the word that is speaking in your heart, what you're doing is you're feeding it. You're feeding it. 
And it needs to be starved. And that's what happens. James talks about it, James 1, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. So we, we have ourselves to blame. Yes, Satan does his thing. But God has also provided things in Christ for us to be able to combat it. And we make a choice of whether to combat it or not. Our own desire, James says. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. The cycle for you, for everybody, will end one day. It will either end with you not doing business with Christ, dying, and that cycle will be broken when you are in hell for all of eternity, separated from God, no more hope. I don't like that. I'm, I'm delivering the mail. This is what he said. And if he's true about everything else, he's true about that. Or you can say, Christ, I need you to deliver me. And he will break that cycle. And, and you will still need Christ all along the way to continue to break those cycles. But there's always hope in that. Now, how, does, how is this done? Well, secondly, we've got to discern the promise of God's steadfast love. Verses 5 and 6 It says here, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the mountains, your judgments are like the great deep, man and beast you save, O Lord. Now, verses 5 and 6 are simply just telling the wicked, this is what the steadfast love of the Lord is all about. And there's four things that are mentioned there, aren't there? Well, it's steadfast love. Which is one of those words that translators have a hard time with as well because we think steadfast love, we're thinking in this lane, but that word hesed in, in, in the Hebrew is actually a very broad term and can actually encapsulates everything else that's said after about his steadfast love, his faithfulness, his righteousness, and his judgments. And we see how encompassing it is that it says that your steadfast love, Lord, extends to the heavens. In Genesis 1, that's space where the sun, moon, and stars reside. And we're getting more and more pictures about the universe and how big it is and how it's bigger than we thought. And we thought it was pretty big before. But now it's more and more and more in those galaxies from a long way away. As they've gotten closer, it's realizing there's more and more of those galaxies. And when you look at Isaiah 40, he talks about how he knows all the stars by name and tells them where to go. And he holds all of them in the palm of his hand. I mean, I, I, I'm, God, you're God. I'm, I'm done. I don't, I don't, I cannot conceive of you being that big. And I can't conceive of scientists seeing all of this and saying, accident. I, I, there's a creator that's putting all of this together. Neil deGrasse Tyson, brilliant. Carl Sagan, granted. Brilliant. All of these minds, brilliant. And they were so close. But one day they'll meet their creator. And we need to pray for them that they'll meet their creator on this side of heaven and not on the other side. It'll be too late then. Heavens, faithfulness to the clouds, righteousness, like, like an unending mountain range of God. Unending. And if you climbed a 14er, 
the one time I got to the top of a 14 er was, it was Mount Evans and it was so cloudy that we could see the wisps of the clouds. I couldn't see anything. There were pictures and those pictures looked really nice and I'm looking up and I'm seeing a wall of gray. So Bob Scott and a couple other guys, we decided we're going to do grays and tories. And that's when I was in shape. And I, and when we, we started doing that, I got five, I think we got about maybe 500 feet from the top. I couldn't wait. It was a miserable climb. How you people hike, oh my word, and do it willingly in that thin air? What? Okay. But some of you also found out put these sticks on your feet and careen down the side of a mountain with snow on purpose. You do that on purpose? I'm, I like Colorado. Haven't quite gotten there yet, but my leg cramped, my calf cramped. I'm like, you know, I always wondered how I was going to die. <laughs> I am just going to be left on the side of this mountain. And it was a clear day and I was about to, and I didn't see it because I wanted to see that unending mountain. I wanted to see it. I haven't seen it since. Thankfully, Bob Scott was there. Some of you know who he is. And he's like, hey, Matt, you use a different set of muscles going down than coming up. And you know what? He's right. You know how I know he's right? Here I am. I didn't die on the side of that mountain. It was awesome. But so you're, you're the righteous, the mountains, because there's just something. How can you, how can you see all that and not worship? Okay. The judgments are like the great deeps. You mean God is, is, he judges me? Yes. When God says something, when God says something, he follows through on it. And there's none of us that are going to be able to escape that. Well, I say that. We have escaped it if we are Christians. But someone paid for that judgment that was to your account. Jesus did that. But if you don't have Jesus, then you're, you're on your own. Why would you want to do that? Why would you want to be on your own and receiving that? And so when you hear about the great steadfast love of the Lord, now you see the psalmist react. And what's the reaction there in verse 7? Tell me what that word is. How what? Precious. Precious. Think of Lord of the Rings. My precious. Precious. How precious is your steadfast love, O Lord. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They're not taking refuge in the shadow of the dark and deepness of their sinful heart. No, they're taking refuge in the shadow of the wings. And, and you, you've, you've heard about these stories of these forest fires, and they go all the way through, and the rangers and the firefighters come through, and they see this bird, but the wings are spread out, and they pick up the bird, and there are the chicks, alive, protected by the wings. Jesus, when he said in Matthew 23, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I have have longed to rescue you. How I wish I could have taken you as a hen takes the chicks beneath the wings, but you were not willing. This is a picture of how Jesus rescues us and takes us into that. When I went to see Nick Sears yesterday, and I, I happened to re read these passages over and over to folks who are in the hospital. God is our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in trouble. Psalm 46. I mean, he's our refuge. He's our strength. They feast on the abundance of your house. And, you know, when I hear some of these, they feast on the abundance of your house. I was thinking about how Jesus is the bread of life. John 6. And it's almost like it's in order. John 6, 7, and 8 when you look at these passages. Jesus is the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never hunger again. Can you imagine being spiritually satisfied all the time? That's Jesus. Then it goes to, and you give them a drink of the river of your delights. 
Uh, Jesus in uh, John 7, 37, 38, he says, well, it was talking about on the last day of the feast, the great day Jesus stood up and cried, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, the scripture has said, out of his, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, which is talking about the Holy Spirit, which, which means that the, the Spirit of God is with us in, in, in all the time. All the time, yes. In the hospital, yes. You mean on top of a mountain, yes. In the valley, yes. Wherever, yes. He's with you. The Holy Spirit has promised to seal your heart and to be with you. You are his, he is yours. And what a joy that is to know. And in John 8, for with you is the fountain of light in your life. life. In your light, do we see light? Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus said, rather, um, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 6, John 7, John 8, right here, right there in order. You know, you know, Pastor Matt, though, sometimes I, I see what it's saying here, but I come to church every so often. In fact, I come to church a lot, but I just don't get a lot out of it. Well, um, my mom always warned me when I was a little kid about being a junk food junkie. That was a very 70s thing to say, wasn't it? Junk food junkie. You don't want to be a junk food junkie. You know, because why? Because it will ruin my dinner. Yeah, but the junk food is so good. Doritos, yes, they smell like feet, but I love, you know, Doritos and, you know, Oreos, you know, now double stuff, not single stuff, double stuff, because why? If you can have double stuff over sink, you see, and so you're a, you're a little kid or maybe sometimes an adult and you're seeing all of these, you know, the junk food and all that, and it brings like a momentary satisfaction. But then you get to dinner time, and there's really good food that's nutritious for you, and you can't eat it. That's what happens to us. We don't get, we, we have a very uh, limited amount of time here at church. We have a, an extended amount of time Monday through Saturday. And it, but if Monday through Saturday, we are filling up on the junk food of the world, If we come here and we say we don't get anything out of it, I'm wondering how much junk food we're filling up on because, and we're not able to feast at the table of his mercy and his love and his grace and his saving work. We need to ready ourselves every single day. Get into the nutrients of his word, the bread of life, the living water, light. We need to get into all of those things. We know how good those things for us are physically. How good, how much better are they for us spiritually? And so on this last part, this is basically how we're, how we're concluding is we need to develop the purpose to pursue his righteousness. It's not just a one-time deal. And I think that's something I've probably been hammering more over the last 30 years of preaching than I have anything else is that it's not just a one-time deal. Okay, this is what your steadfast love is, verses 5 and 6. How precious, yes, how precious. Verse 10, continue. We don't just come to Christ once. Now we do as far as when it comes to initial saving. But once we come to Christ, when he initially saves us and removes us from the penalty of that guilt, we also need to keep coming to him to help, for him to help us be removed from the power of that sin. Continue. Continue your steadfast love. Don't just give me one thing. Continue your steadfast love. To those who know you, your righteousness, continue your righteousness to the upright in heart. Because we're in the flesh, we can, 
Satan plays for keeps. And if he can't get you ultimately, he's going to try to get those battles and help you to be undermined in each of those. Verse 11, not let the foot of arrogance come upon me, nor drive the hand of, nor the hand of the wicked drive me away. Well, that connects back to verse 2. Arrogance, flattering in your own eyes. Don't let that happen. And it's easy to let happen, even as we, as Christians, because we may come to a point where we become an expert on certain things and scripture or church or certain lanes and all that. And then we may feel like that's an arrogance. We love people patting us on the back. Oh, you know so much. Oh, you've been so faithful. We've got to guard ourselves to make sure that we are not allowing that to dig in. There the evildoers lie fallen. There they thrust down, unable to rise. If you read Revelation 19, fallen, fallen, Babylon is fallen. That's the world system that's operating right now. And those evildoers one day will be fallen because Christ is going to come back and reign full and free We'll see it, and those of us who are followers of Jesus, we will absolutely and totally be a part of it. God's love trumps every last issue that sin may bring in our hearts. C.S. Lewis said, on the whole, God's love for us is, much safe, is a much safer subject to think about than our love for him. Why is it safer? Because our love for him vacillates. His doesn't. Another thing that was said was that the love of God is like the entirety of the Amazon River flowing to water one daisy. This is, this is the love of God. And it is so superior, so superior to anything that transgression and sin and Satan can say to us. Spurgeon one time was talking about a conversation that someone had and he was saying this, well, Jack, said the man who met, uh, said one who met a man who had recently joined a church. I hear you've given up all your pleasures. No, no, said Jack. The fact lies the other way around. I have just found all of my pleasures. I have just given up all my follies. Find your pleasures. Though the sin brings no pleasure ultimately, maybe just for a quick bit. Find your pleasure in Christ. Find your joy in Christ. That's how you break the cycle of sin, that you have translated your joy from the joy of self to the joy of Christ, and you see how much grander and greater he is. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that if there's anyone here who has not received Jesus as Lord and Savior, that this would be the morning. That, Lord, that that any of us who are naming the name of Christ, but in our flesh we are struggling with the issues of sin, That, Father, I pray that this would be the morning that freedom would be had. If the Son sets you free, your word has said, your Son has said, then you will be free indeed. We shall know the truth. You've given it to us in your word, and the truth shall set us free. There is nothing that sin and self can bring that will bring ultimate peace and joy. Only the joy and peace that Christ can bring. That is how the cycle of sin is broken. Use us, Lord, in all that we do and say. And we pray, Father, that we would not forget what your word has said, that we would be feasting on the nutrients of your word and the nutrients of prayer and encouraging each other in the faith and sharing the gospel with others. And that, Lord, we would not find ourselves snacking so much on the junk food of the world that we're too full to take on the bread of life. Help us, Lord, in all that we do and say. 
In Jesus' name, amen. It's the love of